Welcome to The Stumbling Spirit, Contemplations on the Path of Resilience. Whether you realize it or not, you are resilient. It's your birthright. As you take in your next breath, know this truth. It's not only about your capacity to overcome difficult situations, but it's about your courage to do the necessary work to heal, learn, grow, and move forward. What you gain is invaluable wisdom. And it's through these hard stumbles in life that we often discover a new purpose that aligns with our spirit. My name is Fabio De Silva Fernandez, Reiki master, mindfulness coach, and mystical explorer. Join me weekly as the Stumbling Spirit podcast highlights the lives of extraordinary people like you, sharing transformative stories and beneficial practices of resilience to guide you on your wellness journey. Karen Warner is co-owner of Gaia's Den, a nature sanctuary and off-grid retreat in eastern Ontario, located in Algonquin territory and spanning 74 acres. This forested paradise and rugged landscape has several waterfalls and an abundance of plant life. Karen is not only a conservationist, but a self-described shaman who leads groups on hikes throughout her property to help people connect with themselves and with the spirits of nature. Today, we discuss the importance of nature in the human experience, and we will learn more about Karen herself and her life's purpose. It's a pleasure to welcome Karen Warner to the show. Hi, Karen. Hi, Fabio. Why is nature important to the human experience? Well, I really can only address it from my experience and then trust I have a commonality with humanity. (laughs) And in my experience, nature is where I feel most connected with myself, with spirit, with creation, with nature itself, and where I feel most at peace. Gaia's Den, we actually call it a sacred sanctuary in nature rather than a nature sanctuary. People have an expectation if you call it a nature sanctuary that they're going to come and see a certain type of rose or particular wildlife. But at Gaia's Den, it's all about the energy. It's all about the spirit. And so when people come here, we share with them our connection and our understanding of how to connect with the different energies and realms of nature, whether it be a rock or the water or fire or creature teachers, whatever aspects of nature there are. We welcome people to come because we really believe that nature empowers healing. We also join our experiences with different kinds of energy medicine with nature to create transformative opportunities. In your bio, you state that you have studied and practiced shamanism and have worked with Indigenous elders. What is a shaman and what was your journey to becoming one? Well, I've been doing this a long time. I believe I just came to it naturally as a child. And because of that deep connection with nature that I recognize as a child, really what happened for the whole course of my life is that different kinds of energy and spiritual teachers would be attracted into my life. I just develop relationships with those teachers, sometimes wisdom keepers, sometimes elders. And I also traveled all over the world and it didn't seem to matter where I went into the world. Again, I would always connect with tribal people and spiritual teachers. So there's just always been an openness to that. A shaman is someone who bridges the dimensions. 
whether it be the physical world and the spiritual world, whether it be higher dimensions or dimensions of nature. There are just so many different kinds of dimensions that are beyond what we see with our physical eyes or hear with our physical ears. I always look at it as being able to navigate between the worlds within the spiritual realm, within the physical realm, and all that comes in between. In your view, what is spirit? Spirit is energy and everybody experiences spirit and energy differently. But I believe all things have an energy, a frequency of vibration, whether it be a person or a plant or a tree or a rock or the elements themselves, or even items of denser energies, whether it be a chair or a table, just everything is made up of energy. But there are those energies that are of a higher vibration. So I don't really believe spirit lives in a chair, for example. But where there is life, where there is life force, spirit lives within that life force. Why is it important to connect with spirit and specifically the spirits of nature? Well, it's important for me. I don't know that it's important for everybody. People might connect to spirit in, in different ways. People might connect with spirit through religion or some sort of formal training in that manner. Other people might connect with spirit through a labyrinth or sacred geometry or through Reiki and different kinds of healing modalities. For me, I feel it's important. It's, it's an opportunity. We just hold a space here for people to come who would like to experience connecting with nature in this way. I don't perceive that there's one way to connect with energy or connect with spirit or connect with nature. It's interesting because I've often reflected on spirit myself. In doing so, there's the idea of the essence of a person. What is the drive behind ambition to achieve certain things in life that can be described as spirit? It is the intuition that we have that leads us in certain directions. It is that sense that there is something greater than ourselves. When I hear you describe your definition of spirit, I know that your vehicle to connecting with spirit is nature. There are obviously many others who connect with nature as well, and they're coming to your retreat center, Gaia's Den. What is the attraction there, do you think, for them? I perceive the attraction is, is because we don't say spirit is this, that, or the other thing, that we are open to all traditions and all walks of life and all belief systems. And that nature is just a gateway. And we have this beautiful 74 acres that is forested and a beautiful creek and waterfalls. And that when people come to the land, they already find just being in nature, it's not about me doing anything, just being here opens a gateway, opens their hearts. And um, that they're able to take whatever journey it is that they need. We do have a labyrinth and different kinds of sacred patterns. Some people come for energy medicine healing. Some people come just for conversation, but it's just all held in the arms of nature, which gives it that extra boost. It's just an opportunity. There are many ways to hold sacred space, and this is the way that we're holding it here. And so for those people who resonate with that, they'll show up here. We have two pine trees that are at the entranceway off of the main road, and we always say that the pine trees are our gatekeepers and pine trees are peacekeepers, and that if you make it past the two 
pine trees, then you're supposed to be here. And if we're having breakfast and somebody's wandering around outside, well, we come out, we say, welcome. I guess you were supposed to be here this morning. And, and we take it from there. So we're very open, very fluid with it, and really try not to work with definitions or make things absolute or concrete. It's about flowing, just, just like the creek flows and the waterfall flows. Some days the creek flows very heavily. Some days it's more rock than water. We just move with whatever's presented. As I mentioned, you are one half of Gaia's Den. Rob Watson is the other half. What inspired the both of you to create this retreat center? Rob and I have been partners for about 15 years. And prior to that, I was married. And in that relationship, we lived at a, another location, the lake that is actually the source of this water that becomes the creek. So I always felt I lived at the crown where the lake was, and that now I live in the womb as the water travels down and out to another lake in the area. 20 years ago, my former husband, his name is David, he heard of this property and he heard it had a waterfall. And I guess he always wanted to have land that had a waterfall on it, but I wasn't aware of this. This was the time when husbands and wives were on the same computer and we shared email addresses and we could walk to town faster than you could send an email living so rurally. <laughs> so one day he had an email opened on the screen and I went to use the computer. So I happened to see the email and he was in touch with this beautiful woman by the name of Ethel who lived on this property. And Ethel was in her 80s, and he was asking to purchase this property. Now, David had never seen this property. He'd only heard about it, but he had decided that he wanted to purchase it. And so he was asking to meet with her. And he was doing this as a surprise. And so he came home and I, I said, David, like, why are we buying another property? I like living here. This is 10 minutes down the road. You know, I'm not really interested in moving. And he was very disappointed. And he said, well, I was trying to surprise you. And I said, well, you succeeded. I am surprised. <laughs> but I need to see this land if, you know, if you're serious about this. David was a lawyer and did things in a very legal way and in a business-like way. And he set up a meeting with Ethel and brought a real estate agent. And uh, we were driving to this property and I wasn't interested in coming at all. And as we got uh, to the turn, there was a road sign that said Betty Road pointing down the driveway. So it wasn't actually the road. It's just where the sign was placed. And my mother's name is Betty. So I sat up and I was like, okay, I have to pay attention. And then we drove in and there was a little fawn that ran across the road. And I'm like, all right, I'm paying attention. It was also July 4th in 2002. And that was my first teacher, Denise Crundle's birthday. Denise Crundle is a Reiki master from Australia who taught many amazing spiritual teachings. And that year had passed into the world of spirit. Every year on the 4th of July, the Reiki community around the world would uh, undertake a healing process called transformation. So I'm cognizant that, you know, this is happening on this auspicious day. And, uh, and we drive in and there's a circular driveway, but we just drove straight in because you could just hear the roar of the water. And I got out of the, the car and I walked right up to the creek and saw the water and the waterfalls. And I didn't even see any buildings or anything on the property. I turned to David and I said, yep, we'll buy this property. And then I looked to my right and I see this little old lady uh, walking up the staircase. She was holding the railing and she didn't look happy to see me. 
And so I walked up to her and I said, hello. And she snapped, are you the real estate agent? And I said, no. And she said, oh, good. Her eyes brightened and she took my two hands in her hands and she said, you're the wife. I said, yes. And she said, you're the one. I knew you would come. You're the one who can do something with this land and you have the healing hands. I looked at her and I said, well, I think you want to know maybe a little something about me and how I do healing work. And I turned to David and the real estate agent and I said, the real estate agent can go home. David, go for a walk. This is women's business now. And Ethel and I sat down in her home and we shared and talked about the shamanistic work that I practice with the earth. And a robin landed on the railing of the stairway. And she said, do you see that robin? I said, yes. And she said, well, I talked to that robin and it talks to me, but I'm an old lady living in the woods. So I can't tell anybody that or they'll take me out of here. (laughs) So we knew we had resonance. And she said, I always saw this as a park. And I, I haven't been able to afford to follow that dream. And I'm too old to do that now. And I, I can't afford to do that. But I think that's what you're going to do. And that was the beginning of Gaia's Den. And we really believe that nature is the first community. And that when we sit in circle, whether we see it or not, we are sitting with the tree people and the stone people and the plant people and the elementals and the starry ones and the fairies and all aspects of the seen and the unseen. And so for us and the people who get past those two pine trees, you know, it's all about the people who come here are in resonance and we don't control who is or who isn't in resonance. Like I say, if they show up, they made it. I held this land for many, many years because I don't believe that we really own property and I don't even like the phrase property. And so I'm very tribal in that sense. And I listened, I listened for what the land wanted to bring forward. And people would say, oh, you should tear down that building or you should do this or you should do that. And I said, no, I'm going to wait and hear what this land is asking, because this all happened for a reason. David and I, we not too long after we parted ways and he moved out of the country. And then it was many years later before Rob and I became a couple around that time. Now we would have been about 2013. So I've had this land since 2002. I just allowed it to be wild. And I was traveling around the world a lot, helping to facilitate sacred site trips and uh, working with a shaman. And one day Rob came to me and said, uh, he thought we should start a firewood business. And I said, no, (laughs) no, I hug trees. I don't cut them down. And he came three times. And so I said, okay, well, I'll go down to Gaia's Den and I'll I'll talk to the land. I'll, I'll hear what the land has to say. And of course, you know, I didn't realize I had an agenda, but I actually thought the land was going to be on my side and whatever the energy, the spirit, the source, however I was communicated with, I thought they were all going to say, oh, he's nuts. (laughs) No firewood business. And I went down and I heard, yes, yes. And I said some profane words because I didn't want to do it. (laughs) But I heard that we were supposed to do it and that the message was, In schools, children are learning about the trees through science and not about energy and the spirit of the trees. And that we were being asked to bring forward that way of sharing the land with people and all this land had to offer. And 
understanding it was just very treed there was only this little opening that was like a den and that's kind of how the name came forward and I said well there aren't enough trees here to make a whole firewood business out of that means bringing in trees from you know something somebody else has cut down and I have no idea you know the consciousness that that's being done with I'm not liking this idea and then I was given a little ceremony to do to bless the trees and to connect with loggers and that community, which is, you know, the logging community is an older tradition in Ontario. Younger generations aren't necessarily carrying it on anymore. It's a generation of usually men who usually come from a patriarchal point of view. And now I'm being asked to talk to them about the spirit of trees and the energy of trees. And I'm like, yeah, okay, <laughs> this is going to be you know, really popular. And so, you know what, we did it. Because the one thing I know is if you're given a message and it comes back three times, you know, if you don't do it, there are consequences. So we went ahead and we started this firewood business and we blessed all the logs that we had and uh, we delivered blessed wood. And some people would call us and say, I don't know what it is about this wood, but it's different. And I'm like, well, thank you for recognizing that. And we had a firewood business for a few years. It's a, it's a tough business. We hit a lot of adversity with the business because we were the new kids on the block. We weren't the established tradition. We did things out of the box <laughs> and we shared and we didn't hide what we were doing. And it also happened economically at a time when the government was now restricting when logs could be cut. So it started to affect supply and there were a lot of issues that arose. We did start that business. We ended up moving that business to an old mill up the road, which was a better place to process the wood from because we had actually large wood processing equipment. And we did ceremony with the land and really worked with all aspects of nature in harmony with the business to the best of our ability. There was just a lot of adversity and we ended up losing the business. And in that process, which was about 2017, we ended up losing our home. And now we were actually homeless. And so we had this land called Gaia's Den, which was our dream to move there and to live there and to create this sanctuary, as was Ethel's vision. And we ended up selling off everything we could with our firewood business and bought a trailer and stayed in an RV on the land. And then, of course, winter came and we can't stay here in the winter in an RV. So we went down to Arizona and New Mexico and took a very deep inner journey to regroup. And we came back. And so this would have been 2018, 19. We came back and in that time, which was the summertime, we basically sold off everything we had. We weren't quite ready to sort out how to make an income in a rural area. That vision hadn't quite come through yet. So we had enough to go back down to Arizona and New Mexico in uh, 2019, 20. On our way down that particular year, there were five family members in our families that were unwell and who would pass away one after another within a very short period of time. And also what happened, of course, was COVID. So in January 2020, we were in Arizona flying back and forth to celebrations of life for different family members. And then I got a message that we were to go home and build at Gaia's Den. And I'm like, well, we have no money. I don't know how we're going to build. And at this point in time, the pandemic hadn't been announced. 
but we just got that message. We listened to it. And so the snowbirds were called home by the government, although there was no place for snowbirds to go coming home in March and even in April. And up here, the snow doesn't melt until May. So we ended up staying, we had to quarantine in the Windsor area. And then we stayed in the Ajax area where Rob's mom was in her end journey. There was no place for us to stay in an RV. There were no parks open, no hotels would let you stay in a parking lot. (laughs) There was nothing. So we went up into sort of North Pickering in Mennonite country. And finally, uh, Mennonite family took us in and we could stay on their land by their cornfield while we journeyed with Rob's mom. We were actually the essential workers, so could come in and out of the home. So we took this enormous journey together and then eventually made our way home after she passed away and we got home in June. And then in June, we started to build. We just started to build with the little credit that we had. And we had to have complete faith that this was going to work out. We would get to the point where, first of all, it was a miracle to get a crew in, a, in the pandemic. And we ended up with four different crews in the pandemic. <laughs> and uh, literally what would happen is we would reach a point where we couldn't pay the crew. And we would be like, I guess this is as far as we're going to get. And then something would happen like Rob's brother would walk up the road and he had a check for $10,000 because he was the executor of his mother's estate. And we had no idea when or what funds might happen as an inheritance. And so then we were able to keep the crew going. And then we had a woman come who I had known for 15 years. I didn't know she was wealthy and she came and she wanted to see what we were doing. And uh, before she left, she said, well, I was thinking I was going to make a donation of about $5,000 to you. And and she actually gave us a check for $15,000. Without any solicitation, donations just came in and we were able to build a home here because we weren't going to be able to stay here in the wintertime. That's how we came into this. We came into this through spirit, through listening, through listening to the earth and to this land in particular. And then Spirit of the Waterfalls also came through like that. So Spirit of the Waterfalls is a specific set of of experiences that I facilitate here where people come to connect with the consciousness of water. And so we have Spirit of the Trees, Spirit of the Rocks, Spirit of the Ancient Ones, different versions of it. But it all begins with connecting with the water. And that happened one day when I was standing in the waterfall and I was singing with the water and the waterfall and really connecting with it. And I got this whole vision of spirit of the waterfalls. And again, I was asked, okay, to bring people in and to teach them how to connect with water, to teach them how to listen to water and to sing with the water. And you have to know, Fabio, I didn't sing. I didn't sing in public as a child. You know, if I was at a party, had to sing happy birthday, I would mouth the words. (laughs) So now I'm being asked to sing with water, to do it in public, bring people in, teach them to sing, be visible, be heard. And not only that, I was asked to partner with a friend up the road who had a horse ranch and a couple of waterfalls and to join that. So now I'm also being asked to ride a horse, which I didn't do. (laughs) And so again, it was like, okay, if this is what you're asking, this is what I'll do. And then Spirit of the Waterfalls began and it has evolved. We don't to use the horses anymore. We do most things here, but I also go out to other sites like Halliburton Forest and Wildlife or Spectacle Lake or different places, lakes and other kinds of tourism 
opportunities. And I will do versions of Spirit of the Waterfalls, whether it be in, in a canopy walk or at the Wolf Center, or we go within about a two-hour radius of, of our home here. So that's, it unfolded. I never planned it. I never thought of it. I never would have dreamed it. I couldn't have dreamt it <laughs> in that way. If I heard it any other way, I would have thought I was crazy. Many did along the way. <laughs> That's how it happened. Just for our listeners, I just want to clarify one thing. A snowbird is the affectionate term that's applied to Canadians that decide to fly south somewhere, usually Florida, for the winter just to spend the winter months. So I just wanted to explain that for anybody that didn't understand what a snowbird is. Can you describe your property? It's 74 acres and it's mostly forested land. It has this beautiful creek that runs through it that on a map has more than one name, but I call it Goddess Creek. And it has three waterfalls on the part that is on the land that by culture we own and in spirit we gatekeep and we steward. And these three waterfalls, the upper waterfall is Ancestors Falls, and then two lower ones are together right by the house. One is Turtle Waterfalls, and one is Ancient Falls. It's really a place to experience. It's hard to describe just in a visual sense. It's just a beautiful place to visit with people who enjoy experiencing nature in a deeper way. Could you delve a little bit deeper into those nature experiences? So with Spirit of the Waterfalls, the original version was about connecting with the water in the waterfalls. So it is a shamanic journey. A short journey would be two hours, but longer journeys can go up to four or five hours because the longer you journey, the deeper you go and the deeper the connection. Because in the journey, you're building relationship and to connect with nature, to connect with spirit, it's about building relationship. And so visitors will generally come for a day, but there's also opportunity to stay overnight or stay in the area and stay longer. And the longer you stay, the deeper the journey. And so people will come in and they will come in thinking that they're coming in for a particular reason an outing with the family or to find peace. And usually what happens is as we journey with singing, chanting, sounding, drumming, meditating, storytelling, reflecting, laughing, and just sharing our experiences and opening our hearts, a transformation happens. There's some sort of change that happens. You know, you never know what that change is going to be, whether it's an individual or whether it's a family or a group. What I find is that there is an energetic theme that even if people join and they don't know each other, they've all come for the same energetic reason that is revealed during the journey and some form of healing takes place. And so we, we sing with the water and the waterfalls, but in other versions of the journey, we might spend more time connecting with the stone people or more time connecting with the tree people or the earth itself. So it depends on what people are looking for. We can, we can customize it. Regardless of the experience, it usually involves a hike. Could you maybe elaborate a little bit more about what logistically it looks like? On site here at Gaia's Den, we walk in from the road, from the parking area, 
And we like to do just a little check-in with everybody and a little smudging, a little singing and drumming, just to bring people into the present and ask people to leave the past behind and, you know, whatever happened at breakfast or at work last week, and to not be thinking ahead into the future and what's on their to-do list, to come into the present and to really start to feel their senses and to notice the transforming of senses. And so in the walk-in, we're really listening to all aspects of nature. We're feeling our feet and our energy into the earth. We're feeling the energy of the sun. If it's a, a moon version, then we're feeling the moon. But we're really opening our senses visually and through taste, touch, smell, all of the senses. Colors become brighter. Sounds become more fine-tuned. And silence, the opportunity for silence. People from cities don't often encounter silence because there's always the hum of streetlights or, or the traffic in the background or voices talking. Silence is another big part of the journey. We slow down. So it's about feeling. So it's not a hike from an athletic perspective. It's a reflective hike. It's a meditative hike. And to tune in and build that relationship with nature. And then from there, the different versions happen. So sometimes we start at the base of the waterfall. Sometimes we start in, we have a earth altar, an air altar, a fire altar, and a water altar. So depending on the experience people have signed up for, determines how the walking part unfolds folds. And sometimes also we don't make it from the base waterfall anywhere else. Other times we'll travel up the creek to the different waterfalls and spend time at each waterfalls and in the forest and spend time meditating. It uh, depends on weather and it depends on the state of, you know, one's health. So sometimes people come who are unwell. And so we don't really hike. We, like I say, we stay at the base of the waterfall. So that's on site. And then you know, when we're offsite at different locations, sometimes we're doing this at a lake and we spend the whole time at a lake. There isn't a hike at all. Or sometimes we're in somebody's forest at their cottage or so, you know what, we really deal with what's presented to us. What I like about um, having the experience at Gaia's Den is because building a relationship with spirit and nature is like building a relationship with a friend. And let's say you haven't been out in nature for a while. And just like you haven't seen a friend in 10 years and you get together for coffee and it's like, oh my gosh, I, I feel like I just saw you yesterday. When you can return to one spot in nature, you just deepen that relationship like seeing a friend again. And then there are other kinds of experiences where it's the first time and maybe the only time we're in a particular location. And then that brings a different kind of energy and a different kind of experience. A couple of years ago, I facilitated an experience at a place that was known for its whitewater rafting and canoeing and kayaking. And after their clients came off the river, I did a two-hour nature talk with them. And at this time, we were sort of in this area with trees and a lot of tree roots and very earthy area. And it was a mixture of people who didn't necessarily come together for the rafting experience, but met there. They were of all ages, of all cultural backgrounds, of all genders. And I began the singing and the drumming and different songs come forward, depending on, again, the energetic theme of the group. So it's, I don't sing the same list of songs all the time or chants. And on this particular occasion, every song or chant or the sounding that came through 
sounded very sad and mournful. And the the woman who owns the rafting location, I looked at her and I thought, well, you know, I have to follow the energy, even though this is a recreational place and, you know, light and lively is the, is the experience usually. But in this particular case, it went to this deep spot. And I would always ask people for a little check-in. What is your experience? What are you hearing? How are you feeling? And they, you know, everyone said, oh, that song, you know, touched a sad place or it sounded mournful. And we ended up speaking a lot about death and dying. It ended up becoming like a conscious living with dying circle, which is the foundation of my healing work, actually, but not typical for this a kind of a, an experience. And so we coordinated that with nature and death and dying in nature and the naturalness of this process. And it doesn't need to be feared. And I did not know why it came out this way. Everybody had a great experience. Anyway, when I came back the next week to do a different circle, the owner came up to me and she said, Karen, I just, I wanted you to know that almost every person in that circle, and there were about 25 people there, lost someone last week someone passed away. That's the the magic of this kind of an experience. That's the magic of listening to nature and what it's bringing forth and being able to merge with it and feel the energy of the group. Because it wasn't just about the energy of the people. It was also what nature was helping to bring out. You mentioned the healing. You mentioned this specific experience with this group that we're dealing with a very real experience of dying and death within their families. What can people expect when they sign up for one of your experiences? Well, what I would like to get away from is having an expectation and just being open for it to unfold and evolve and to for the healing to go where it's needed to go. Because if we come in with a preconceived notion, we limit our own growth and our own potential. So I ask to suspend disbelief and come empty. And that's why we walk in and make an effort to just kind of let go and empty on the way in and see what comes forward. And there's no agenda with it. And so it is really helpful if people don't come with an agenda and then, then they're surprised and that's magic. I had a group last year that was from Israel, a family of 15, and it was a really teaching experience for me as well, because it was their last day together. They'd been on the road for two weeks from Ottawa, traveling through Toronto and the CN Tower and the, the aquarium and all those kinds of places and through Collingwood. And, and somehow they found Spirit of the Waterfalls in Harcourt, Ontario, and uh, stayed at a place that was nearby. And the, the man who was like the brother-in-law, his, it was his wife's family. And they had recently moved from Israel to Ottawa and they wanted to share Ontario <laughs> in two weeks with their family from Israel. So they covered a lot of area. Well, you can imagine convoying 15 people, you've got several cars and restaurants and kids, and you know, you're going to have a whole range of experience and they're tired. They're now at the end of the journey, getting ready to go back. And not everyone was in best form. <laughs> So by the time they got to my place and he really wanted 
his family, especially the children, to have an experience in nature and with spirit. And so when we began the initial circle and the smudging, the one family member grabbed my smudge bowl and literally threw smoke on her children and talked all the way through my introduction and was very much in a saboteur kind of energy. And uh, I thought, oh, this is going to be interesting. <laughs> and so then we're doing sort of the silent walk-in. And of course, she was not going to be silent and she wasn't going to make it easy for everybody else. And so we get in, we take a little bathroom break and circle around the labyrinth. We're going to walk through the labyrinth. Now her husband's participating and they come up to me because I also give everybody a little bag of sage. I show them how to make offerings, etc. And uh, he's like, why are you giving us these herbs? When do we start hiking? <laughs> And it was very challenging. You know, this is a place of peace. And I'm looking at the fellow who booked it thinking this is his family and maybe he's going to intervene. And I see him and I all of a sudden realize he's just at the end of his rope. <laughs> he has like nothing left. And so the part of Karen that takes charge came forward and just said, okay, everyone around the circle now. <laughs> We had a little talk <laughs> because the two adults were affecting their two children. And then those two children were affecting the other children. And I just said, look, we've all read the waivers. We all know what this is about. This is a meditative, reflective experience with nature and spirit. For anyone who doesn't want to participate, feel free to sit in those chairs by the waterfall and the rest of us will enjoy this journey. <laughs> well, that family separated out and they sat down in those chairs and everybody else were laughing and had a beautiful journey. And we went up into the forest and we had this terrific meditation in the, in the fairy area. And the other two mothers just looked at me and, and they just felt such a peace finally. After two weeks of, you can imagine, <laughs> we, we did a little labyrinth walk. And the son, who was about seven or eight, of the mom and dad who were not really choosing to participate, he was the first one in the labyrinth. And I showed everybody to make a little offering and, and to state their intention. And he said, I hope we win the war. And boom, right there, I got it. And I thought, oh my gosh, I just felt so humble and so mindful of any judgment I might've had ab about them and that they've come from Israel and they have come from such a different experience. And they've come into this environment of peace and they weren't able to embrace it but everybody else was able to embrace it and they had to leave. And it was just a great teaching. We can't impose anything on anybody and people have to choose for themselves what they step into and, and what they're not able to step into. And, you know, we have so many different realities happening all over the world. All we could do is hold a space of love and peace. So again, I can't hold an expectation for anyone. And if people come with an expectation, they may not get the full experience, but the rest of the family had a great time. They enjoyed themselves. They felt peaceful. And then before you know it, they were playing in the water and catching frogs that were jumping around and wildlife that they hadn't known. And the fellow who booked it was thrilled because the children were having an experience with spirit and with nature. And they were off of their computers and phones and all the technology. And it was a beautiful time. You mentioned this family from Israel. Today, you have people coming in from Denmark. How far and wide do guests come from? All over the world, knowing that we only really started to do this before the pandemic. But then during the pandemic, being considered a tourism business, everything was shut down. 
as I mentioned, we came here and we had to build a home in the pandemic because otherwise we had no place to live. And then we also didn't have any income at all for two years because we were shut down. And so it surprises me how far people come and who hears about it. Recently, I was called by a group from India who wanted to bring 200 people. And unfortunately, I can maybe take a maximum of 25. But we did pick another location where I can go to to share an experience. And then when they want to come in smaller groups, they're most welcome to come. I don't know what creator has in store. <laughs> you know, if they make it past the pine trees, everyone's welcome. I wanted to ask about your retreats just a little bit more. So you have the day retreats, but you also have the multi-day retreats. So for the multi-day retreats, what can people expect as far as accommodation and food? It isn't a retreat center per se. It is a sacred sanctuary in nature where people are really meant to be outdoors. We have two RVs, sometimes people with health issues or people who just want to stay overnight or for a few nights, they can use the RVs. We don't take in a lot of people for accommodation, but accommodation is available in the area. So people might rent a cottage or might be at another RV park. I like to partner with the people who are good at what they do. I'm good at energy work. I'm not so good at housekeeping <laughs> and running accommodations. So that isn't the focus of what we do here. And then there are some people who camp, though, again, we don't offer a lot of that. We prefer to partner with local people and support them in doing what they do well. And so sometimes we offer food and we accommodate all styles of food, you know, that's just something that's custom. And, you know, we talk that through with people if they want a lunch or a dinner, but if they're staying longer term, they would be looking after their own food or going to local restaurants. Your foundation, as you said, is in energy healing. The specific form of energy healing is Reiki. So could you explain a little bit more about that background? In the mid-90s, I met a woman by the name of Denise Crundle, who is an Australian Reiki master. She and her husband used to come over four times a year from Australia and teach Reiki classes in Toronto. They have a Yusui Reiki center in Melbourne, and they were teaching all over the world and had many different centers at that time. And so I became a, a Reiki channel in the mid 90s and her teachings exceeded beyond Reiki because Reiki is really an energy. It's not per se a teaching, but because there are four fine tunings to be in alignment with that energy, people aren't fine tuned like, you know, one fine tuning after another. That could be a lot to take in the physical body and all bodies in mental, emotional, spiritual in a day. So the classes that I was exposed to were over a three-day period. So the four fine tunings over three days. So then other teachings are interspersed. And those teachings could be metaphysics and just different kinds of spiritual teachings. Denise was very renowned for her work with conscious living with dying and her work in the 80s with the AIDS community. And so those were the first teachings I was exposed to. Really, in order to learn how to live, we really must understand how to die. And it was based on Tibetan Buddhism teachings of conscious living with dying. She combined teachings of Judaism and Christianity and Buddhism. And in our culture at this time, there is so much polarization and so much thinking religion is bad and, you know, that it's all about spirituality. But within religion, there is spirituality. 
even spirituality can become dogmatic if we make it absolute. I was always grateful to learn from many traditions and to be able to access the energetic aspects of these different traditions. And then, of course, over the years, working with Indigenous and tribal peoples, it is working with energy and spirit in another way. And being able to interweave these traditions into what has been able to work for me and my daily practice and, and the way I walk life. I feel that that is such a blessing that we live in a time where we are able to be open to receiving all that's available. There are some schools of thought that you should follow one tradition, one practice, and that's it. There are others that are very eclectic in their approach. I understand practicing one tradition and following one tradition. And I also understand an eclectic approach. So again, I don't say one is better than the other. My journey has just unfolded and I've just followed the bouncing ball where the energy has led. I'm curious, in terms of the energy healing, energy work that you do, how do you incorporate that into the experiences that you lead? As a Reiki channel, and, I'm, and I am a Reiki master as well, Reiki is a healing modality. People talk about it in terms of relieving stress and enhancing one's life in that way. And for me, Reiki is also a spiritual path. In the original teachings that I've experienced about Reiki, in between those fine tunings, there was a lot of teaching about energy and how energy works. That helped me to understand how Reiki works. So then anything else I experienced after that, any other teachings I took, any other healing modalities I've studied, I had a foundation in how energy works. This foundation of how energy works, I bring through everything that we share here. And it's really, this is where science and spirituality merge because it's really based on quantum physics. Because whether it's Einstein, who, you know, used to watch the clouds and be inspired by the clouds and, and enter into trance-like states, he plucked out of those clouds somehow the theory of relativity. For me, that is not separate from the great I am that people work towards through the world of spirit. For me, it's about where everything merges in the middle and synergistically, what is the greater vibration that we create? That's how I approach becoming more conscious of working with the consciousness of water or the consciousness of the tree or a rock or the fire or a creature. It is about bringing together what we like to polarize or think of as opposite or one is better than the other when I think the magic is bringing them together and merging it to create something greater, whatever that something greater is. So there's that. And then also through Reiki, doing my own inner work constantly shifts my vibration consciously. And so I carry that vibration of Reiki, but other vibrations as well, because we are multifaceted <laughs> and we are multidimensional. My healing practice is actually called Bridging Dimensions. So at Gaia's Den, if you come for healing, then the healing work is done through Bridging Dimensions. If you come for a transformative nature experience, it's done through Spirit of the Waterfalls. And we work with animals too. We have a special affection for dogs. So we um, certainly work with, we call them the dog people. If you're at my house in the morning and I greet my dogs, I'll always say, hello, dog people. <laughs> you know? But as you know, you can use Reiki with plants, with animals. We use Reiki in our gardens and we use that energy, that universal life force in all that we do. Nothing is separate. You know, I bring to everything that we do here, who I am and what I've come to do with the intention that other people discover who they are and what they've come to do. And that is the journey of the medicine wheel.
And for me, that journey is not separate from the teachings of Reiki or from any other form of spirituality or other traditions. It is where everything meets. What breakthroughs have you seen with the guests that partake in your experiences? I think the biggest breakthrough I see is that people have become so disconnected. I think there was a time when we naturally knew how to connect. And as children, we knew how to connect with spirit, with nature, with others. As we journey through life and different sorts of institutions and belief systems, we lose that connection and then need to come to a point in life where we choose to reconnect and remember and rediscover ourselves and walk in another way. So I find that the biggest breakthrough is that people become connected or reconnected. And the other biggest breakthrough is the recognition that they're one, that they are not separate from a tree, from an animal, from one another. So that oneness I feel comes through. It might be expressed in many, many different ways, but ultimately this is what comes through. Then there's a peace that comes through. Looking into the future, and I know that we don't want to attach to expectation, but do you have a vision for the future or anything that you are thinking about manifesting? The vision for Gaia's Den has always been to land trust it, to leave its legacy that other people can carry on. The Chalice Well is in Glastonbury, England. It's the Isle of Avalon. It's where the Tor exists. It's where the Michael Mary lines intersect. It's a sacred site and it is a land trust. And that has been around now for hundreds of years. I would love to be able to leave this land as a place where people can come and continue to learn and grow and connect and build that relationship with the earth. It's a little speck in terms of the whole earth, but you know, when you put little specks together, whether it's Machu Picchu or the petroglyphs in Peterborough or whatever is a sacred site, we need to have these little places on earth to hold the portals that exist, because I do feel that there are portals of energy here. And some I've discovered, some I haven't, some others will discover. We need these places. So I would love for this to be land trusted and for others to be able to continue it. And I also would like to see this land be returned to the Algonquin people who we are in Algonquin territory here. I would love to be able to merge this purpose with being able to return this little piece of land to the Algonquin people. What does resilience mean to you? It's an interesting question because recently I saw a post in which it talked about success being meaningless, that we don't learn anything from success. So I've talked a little bit about how our world has become polarized and we tend to live our lives, you know, positive, negative, right, wrong, good, bad, intellect, intuition, logic, emotion. And we have a preference for one or the other, but we really are both. And we just keep swinging through, swinging through, swinging through. And the more we polarize, the more we let that become extreme through our judgment, through our comparison, through our addictions. The more we do that, the more the gap widens, the more we separate, the more we disconnect. For me, I feel resilience is about bringing those opposites together just to recognize that they are two energies and that when we bring them together synergistically, it births some 
higher consciousness or frequency of wholeness. I see resilience as a frequency of wholeness. I see the polarities being failure and success. And that when we can merge the part of us that feels like we've failed with the part of us that is successful, that this is the resilience that's born. There's a capacity to withstand, to recover. It requires a strong faith in self, in source, in the earth. And we must have the humility to begin again. I feel that's what resilience is. And that this has been very much our journey here at Gaia's Den. And that we are constantly beginning again and emptying, surrendering, rediscovering, remembering, humbling. I think humanity is really good at failing. We've become really good at failing. And we learn a lot from failing. I feel that we could spend a little bit more time appreciating success and not success in a material way, but success in the way that it builds character. Success builds character just as much as failure does, because it's what do we do with that success? And so when we can bring that together and when we can risk success, there's a worthiness there. There's a great love there. It isn't that one is better than the other. It is that we are both and we need to acknowledge both. When we merge that together, I feel that that is resilience and, and that is what's birthed. And from that resilience, so much more can come out of that. What are your practices of resilience? I don't know that I've ever looked at it as a practice of resilience. I just think what I described is just an overall practice of life where I look at where am I out in extremes so that those extremes are creating symptoms that's creating a disconnection or things that I don't want to happen in life. Again, when I can embrace the part of me that's feeling very negative with the part of me that's positive, I feel like my practice is to go beyond survival because resilience can become about surviving. And then there are those who, whether it be through illness or other kinds of adversity, like I said, we basically lost everything a couple of times in the last few years. And we've worked a lot in that survival energy, but my practice is to move beyond survival and to thrive from it. And so there's that transformation that helps us to thrive, but then there's a step beyond thriving and that's to create. And so Gaia's Den to me is like art, but it's my art is on this earth and together with this earth and spirit that when I can move beyond surviving, move beyond thriving and into creating, then my practice is that anything is possible and it's all beyond my imagination. You know, I didn't grow up saying when I grew up, I want to be a shaman. I grew up saying I want to be five foot six and Italian because I really thought five foot six was tall and I loved everything Italian, but I can tell you, I never achieved either. <laughs> <laughs> So what does that do for you? So when you are experiencing these moments of wholeness through this intentional work, what does that do for you? How does it manifest within you? It moves beyond emotion to feeling because emotion and feeling are not the same. And when we're in a place of feeling, there's a presence. I'm not in the past. I'm not in the future. You know, those circles have collapsed into a present moment. So I feel present. I feel well. I feel peaceful and then I might feel inspired, you know, I might feel lighter, like it can manifest in so many different ways. But when I'm in that place of wholeness, I feel like there's a peace. I had an experience recently where I was fasting 
And it was a four day, four night fast, which is a spiritual fast, but even in this fasting process. So there is no food, no water, no human contact, no technology. You're just out in the woods and, and it is an indigenous fast through an Ojibwe community. And I had this, I live in nature, but now I'm out there in nature, just in this little round lodge that's about four feet high and about five foot in di diameter through all kinds of weather. And I'm getting toward the end of my fast and I'm thinking, oh, I didn't really achieve what I wanted to achieve. And you know what? There was noise out there. There was so much noise out there. <laughs> and I'm in the middle of the forest. And it's amazing how even in the middle of the forest, you can find distractions <laughs> to not be who you are. And, you know, whether it was that chattering squirrel that wasn't happy, I was in his space or those birds that, you know, would wake me up at sunrise. So, okay, up at sunrise, I go and sit with the earth and the trucks. Oh my gosh. You know, how can I be in the middle of the forest and hear chainsaws and trucks and hear some sort of processing plant? And how am I ever going to get to where I need to be? Because it's not quiet. <laughs> And then I had this moment where the sun was rising and I'm looking at the sun and it was so bright and beautiful. And I closed my eyes and the sun was actually brighter and more beautiful when I closed my eyes. And I just felt it coming into every molecule of my being. And then something happened where I ended up in this silent space, yet I was still aware that this other noise was happening, but this overarching suspended place of silence was there. And I thought, well, that's what we're supposed to do in life. You know, we're driving like a maniac to get to the grocery store before it closes. It's like right then. That's when we're supposed to bring in that light, bring in that moment and just take that moment, slow down, enter that bubble. The silence can come in right then, right there. And so I have this beautiful space to do this in, which I invite people to, but I want them to know they can do it anywhere. But this is a place where you can come and practice it so you can get good at doing it anywhere, anytime, any circumstance. How can people contact you if they want to reach you? through spiritofthewaterfalls.ca or gaiasden.ca, bridgingdimensions.ca. I'm on Facebook, Karen Warner in Harcourt, Ontario. And my phone number is 705-448-1346. But always call back and email again because where we live, we have constant tech issues because we live amongst trees and rocks and nature has a sense of humor. Thank you so much, Karen. It's been such a joy for you to be on my show. Thank you for sharing your insights, your wisdom, and your story. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you. I'm so glad to have been able to have this time with you. And thank you for sharing with other people. And I hope you come up and visit us. I would love that. Please do. Thank you for listening to The Stumbling Spirit, Contemplations on the Path of Resilience. This is Fabio da Silva Fernandez. Join me again next week for another episode of transformative stories and beneficial practices to guide you on your wellness journey. If you wish, you can follow and DM me on Instagram at The Stumbling Spirit. Until next time, take a deep breath and another step forward on your path of resilience. Hey.